The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Hey, good afternoon everybody. Welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host today, Jonathan Ruthier. And today we're talking about the secret to, to getting through to absolutely anyone. I think we've all had experiences and times in our lives when we were trying to convince somebody of something or trying to really, uh, you know, convey a sense of importance about something or, you know, trying to, to really have somebody change their mind about things. And gosh, I think we've all experienced the frustration that comes with not being able to make that connection or, or, or to, you know, bring that other person along in, in, in thinking the same way that we're thinking. So it's really exciting that we have a guest today who's been studying this and writing about it and speaking about it, uh, because there certainly are influences and techniques that can that can make uh, you know a, a situation of getting through to somebody really possible and not only possible but probable. So uh, it's really my pleasure to introduce today Dr. Mark Golston. And Dr. Goldston is associated with the 35-year-old Life Adjustment Team in Culver City, California. Uh, the, the Life Adjustment Team helps severely and frequently relapsing mentally ill individuals successfully transition to independent living, uh, often following inpatient treatment. He's also a board-certified psychiatrist who's been a suicide and violence specialist, a UCLA professor of psychiatry for over 25 years, and an FBI and police hostage negotiator trainer. He, in his spare time, he's writing books. He's the author of seven books, including the number one bestseller, Get Out of Your Own Way and Just Listen. He contributes to many other online and print uh, media, uh, and we're really pleased to have him with us today. So, Dr. Goldston, welcome, uh, and thank you for uh, taking the time to share your information and insight and experience with our audience today. Well, well, thank you for having me on, and uh, and I hope we'll be able to share some information that your audience can take into the relationships and be more impactful with the people they love, and really uh, looking forward to what we're going to talk about. That's great. Now, your um, you know, your background and experience really seem to have uh, put you in positions where you really had to figure out, boy, how do I how do I talk to somebody to really help them turn things around here? Um, you, I imagine you've been in some pretty difficult situations, uh, you know, which have led to your experience base being able to be a trainer in terms of, um, you know, negotiation around suicide and hostages. So, uh, you know, maybe you could tell us a little bit about some of that background. Yeah, when I first, uh, during my training at UCLA as a psychiatric resident, one of my first mentors was a fellow named Ed Schneidman, and he he was a pioneer in the study and intervention with suicide. He was one of the co-founders of the Suicide Prevention Center in Washington and Los Angeles. And he was one of my first mentors. And what would happen early on uh, after I got out of training and into practice is he had a lot more confidence in me than I did. 
uh, and and he would be called upon to do consultations on still suicidal people that needed to be discharged. So they weren't acutely suicidal, but this was part of their personality. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he would go up and he would do a consultation. And many of the residents did not want to see these people as uh, as outpatients because they were still suicidal. And so Ed would call me and. Uh, and he would always say the same thing. He would say, uh, Mark, and I'll try and uh, I miss him. He died a number of years ago. He'd say, Mark, this is it. I'm with this lovely young man, this handsome young man. I'm with this lovely young woman. Mm-hmm. They're in a lot of pain, Mark. You could help them, see them. And then he'd put them on the phone, and then these people would be discharged, and they were still suicidal, but not acutely suicidal. They were, it was part of their personality. And, but that allowed me to be somewhat innovative because... Uh, I knew they weren't going to immediately uh, kill themselves, but I also knew that just sort of a standard approach wouldn't work. And so what I learned to do was listen more deeply, and really it, it took a huge step when I was seeing a patient that I'll call Nancy. That's not her name. She made three or four attempts in the prior, year, prior four years and had been in hospitals three to four months every year. Mm-hmm. And I'd been seeing her for six months, and I didn't think I was helping her, uh, except she showed up, uh, and, and she hadn't made a, another attempt. And, uh, but she wouldn't say much. And when she was in sessions with me, she would kind of look 30 degrees to the left or right, and she'd just be staring blankly. And one of the things I did early on in my, when I got out of training was I moonlighted, which means I worked at a state hospital one, one weekend a month, and sometimes you're up 36 hours. And uh, after 36 hours, I remember one stay uh, there on a Monday, Nancy came in, and she sat down, and something stro- very strange happened, uh, as, uh, and she never really made eye contact with me. And as I'm looking at her, all of the color in the room turned to black and white. And I thought, wow, this is strange. And I was, you know, I was young, so I was more interested than I was anxious, and I, but then I said, Maybe I'm having a stroke or a seizure. Now, I'm a medical doctor, so I did a neurologic exam on myself. I tapped my knees. I looked at my finger. Uh, and she, it wasn't rude because she wasn't looking at me. And I realized, no, I'm all here. Then I had this crazy idea. Now, again, because I was sleep deprived, I had this crazy idea that I was looking at the world through her eyes and feeling it. Right. And so I, so I leaned into it and the... Black and white got cold and gray. And years later, when I was sharing the story with Reverend Jim Kowalski of the uh, St. John the Divine Gothic Cathedral in Manhattan, he said, you went into the dark night of the soul. And so I leaned into it, and it was awful. And because I was sleep-deprived, I blurted out something that normally I would have kept to myself. So imagine this. If you can see the scene, she's not looking at me, and I'm feeling this weird kind of change. And I said to her, Nancy, um, I didn't know it was so bad, and I can't help you to kill yourself. But if you do, I will still think well of you. I'll miss you. And maybe I'll understand why you had to to get out of this pain. And I thought to myself, did I just think that or did I just say that? Right. And I realized, oh, I just said it. And that was the first time Nancy looked at me. And I thought she was going to say, thank you for understanding, I'm overdue. 
And so I got a little paranoid on my own. I looked in her eyes, and by the way, when I looked into her eyes, I realized that the experience I had was accurate. I really was feeling something that I think she was feeling. Mm-hmm. And I said, what are you thinking? And she looked right through me, and she said, if you can really understand why I might have to kill myself to get out of this pain, maybe I won't need to. And then she smiled, and she gave up her suicidality. Oh. So. So what happened is that taught me that to how to listen to people from their inside out. And uh, I've spoken around the country over the years, and I'm now retired, you know, and we conduct with a life adjustment team because I've transitioned, so I'm a retired psychiatrist now, although I do give talks. <laughs> okay. And when, I, and when I give talks about suicide, I talk about that people uh, commit suicide not so much from depression, because millions of people have depression that don't commit suicide. Uh, in my talks, I talk about people commit suicide out of despair. And if you break the word despair into D-E-S-P-A-I-R, it means they feel unpaired. They feel unpaired with hope, hopeless, mm-hmm. Unfeel, uh, unpaired with help, helpless, mm-hmm. with worth, worthless. Right. Useless, meaningless, pointless. And what happens is when they feel disconnected from all those things at the same time, they pair with death as a way to take the pain away. Mm-hmm. And, and so when I give talks and when I've given talks and uh, done uh, patient conferences, I say really what's important is certainly do an accurate diagnosis and find out what the what the uh, biological factors are, and certainly treat those and the medical factors, but you have to find a way to pair with people inside their pain. And when I give talks, I make a distinction between suffering and pain, and to me, pain is just pain, but suffering is feeling alone in pain. And if you can help people to feel less alone, Mm-hmm. Suffering they can't live with becomes pain that they can. And I think that's what happened uh, with Nancy. And so my book, Just Listen, Discover the Secret to Getting Through to Absolutely Anyone, is really about how if you can listen to people from their inside out as opposed to from, from uh, their outside in, uh, people lean into that. People are starved for that because nobody's doing that and they feel all alone in there. Right. And so just listen, uh, and I'm humbled by how well it's done. It actually at one point became the top book on listening in the world. Uh, but it's all about that. How do you listen to another person from their inside out? Um, yep. in, in fact, I want to give uh, the audience a taste of that uh, with you because uh, there's different levels of listening. And there's a difference between listening to someone and listening into someone. And so listening to you, what I heard, uh, it was the introduction, and you uh, did mm-hmm. a great job of uh, introducing you know, my background. Uh, you teed up uh, the questions for me to talk about something. You invited me to tell a story. Uh, and so I, that was listening to you, and I think so far we're doing a great job, the two of us. But if I listen into you, and tell me if you think this is accurate. Mm-hmm. If I listen into you, what I'm picking up is how important it is for you to make a difference in people's lives who are hurting, 
whose families are scared, whose families are suffering, uh, how important it is to provide them some kind of treatment where they feel slightly more hopeful when they walk out than when they walked in. Uh, my guess is also if you've done any radio hosting, uh, you're, you're very careful to want to give your listeners information that can help them. I think you take the trust of your listeners very seriously, and it's important to give them value for that trust and, their, and the gift of their time. And my guess is, you know, when you or the other hosts run into someone who's not doing a very good job, you know, you, you politely get through the interview, but inside you're thinking, well, we won't have them on again. So is any of that, is any of that true? <laughs> yeah. No, I think a lot of that is true. I'd say it's all true. You know, and I, and I think, uh, so first of all, you did a great job of listening and tuning in. And I think that's, that's really what we're talking about here, isn't it? It's making the connection. It's not just sort of being correct in your assumptions, but really getting to a place where you are literally, put, like, you know, stepping into someone else's shoes. That, that, no, that, and that's absolutely correct. In fact, uh, when I've given talks on listening, which seems like a contradiction, sometimes I'll begin a, a talk and I'll ask the audience, I'll say, how many of you think you listen? Uh, are good listeners, you know, about half of them raise their hands. And, uh, and often what I will say is, what if I were to tell you that none of you listen, that none of you listen ever? Uh, and then, of course, they're challenged. And then, uh, and, and then what I will say to them is, let's say, uh, imagine, uh, uh, and we can finish a, a, if, if, if a break comes up, but imagine you're a parent and your child, you're having trouble having your, getting your child to do their homework, and you think that they're kind of flaky, and what happens is uh, you see them in the kitchen, and, uh, and you say to them on a Sunday night, uh, so have you done your homework? And they say, No. And so what are the adjectives you think if you have a child who's not been doing their homework? You start thinking to yourself, flaky, irresponsible, uh, they're going to get bad grades, uh, we're going to have a big confrontation. And so, so those are the adjectives that you're thinking. And then if your child leaves the kitchen, you're all, you're all uh, jazzed up with that. But if you were to pause and say to your child, uh, how come? And if your child said, you know, I was really intending to do it, and I am going to do it. But what happened is I went to a party on Friday, and afterwards we found out that someone got killed. Uh, they had drunk, and they drove into a tree. And we're all ripped up about it, Mom or Dad. And, uh, and I know you don't trust me to do my homework, but I was going to do it, and I'm going to get more done than you thought I was going to do tonight. But, you know, we're all a little bit ripped up about this, Mom, so I, I didn't quite get to it. Right. Now, when I asked the audience, what would you think then? And... Of course, they changed. They said, well, well, well that, would, that would be totally different. Well, what was missing? Well, is you assumed without checking. You assumed right. without asking someone why or how come. Or tell me more. Well, and the, you know, the assumptions are one way that we actually put a, a blockade to, to really listening and tuning in. And when we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, what does it take to, to get to that point where you can really tune in and let down your own defenses and your own blockades. We'll be right back here after a couple-minute break.
You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black, Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of Return to Peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually, as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. And good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. It's a beautiful spring day here in New England. Hope you are enjoying some fine weather where you are. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier, and today's episode we're talking about being able to get through to absolutely anyone. Uh, We're focusing really on being able to, to truly and effectively listen to another person's experience. And our guest today is Dr. Mark Golson, who uh, is a psychiatrist, an author, uh, a consultant, a speaker, and uh, an FBI and police hostage negotiator trainer. Uh, Dr. Golson has been sharing his experience with us. And uh, Dr. Golson, one of the things that really struck me uh, in the earlier segment, when you were talking about your experience, sort of an aha experience for you as a clinician, about you know the the value or finding finding the way to really tune in. Uh, you, you described a situation where you had really kind of been sleep deprived, and you'd been you'd, you were with a, a patient of yours that you'd been working with for a long time, and you you went through this experience that was you know to me felt very much like uh, you know you were able to just sort of let down and really just sort of let your guard down to, enough to be able to join. Uh, Nancy is her name yes. uh, that we described to join Nancy in a way that you know was is beyond sort of the just trying to understand, but really getting to a point of, of really connecting. 
Well, I think what happened is clearly I was out of control of what I was experiencing. I was just experiencing it. It was pretty profound for a room to go from color to black and white to cold and gray. And so I think what I did was I surrendered control because I couldn't control it. And I think there's something about surrendering control, surrendering an agenda that uh, allows other people to sort of engage you. One of my favorite quotes of all time comes from a British psychoanalyst named Wilfred Bion. And one of the things that he talked about is that the purest form of communication and the purest form of listening is to listen without memory or desire. And what he meant by that is when you listen with memory, you have an old personal agenda that you're trying to plug people into. And when you listen with desire, you have a new personal agenda that you're trying to plug people into. But in neither case are you listening to where they're coming from. So in my book, Just Listen, one of the things that I talk about is try to become a PAL. And PAL stands for Purposeful Agendaless Listening. Purposeful Agendaless Listening. And your purpose is really to get where the other person's coming from, really from their point of view, and to be of service to them. And so I think what happened after Nancy is I cultivated this ability and and I try to coach people in it and therapists and psychologists that there's a way of looking into people's eyes with a look that basically says, tell me where it hurts. Tell me where you're scared. Tell me how bad it gets. And if you look in a way Uh, in which you're not there to hospitalize them, you're not there to diagnose them in that conversation or in that moment, people start to open up to you. Uh, I am blessed uh, to have a number of, and honored to have a number of great friends, and one of them is a fellow named General Marty Steele. General Marty Steele ran the Marines in the 90s. He was uh, uh, the COO underneath the Commandant, and then he went on to be the CEO of the U.S. Intrepid Uh, uh, aircraft carry on the Hudson. And what was interesting, and I worked with Marty, or General Steele, on a transition program to help returning Marines transition back to civilian life. And this was from 2006 to 2008, and it was privately funded, and so the private funding ended, and so the transition program ended at that time. And what Marines would say was the best part of that uh, week long program, intensive program, it wasn't the Myers-Briggs, and General Steele loved Myers-Briggs because he had the most unusual Myers-Briggs profile for a Marine. Uh, He was, I think, an intuitive, (laughs) feeling person, even though he was a hero of the Vietnam War. Uh, and it wa- and it uh, and it wasn't that they were prepared about how to interview and how to talk uh, uh, in a civilian job versus as a marine. It was the hour and a half that they got to spend with General Steele one on one. And I asked General Steele, I said, "What did you talk about with these uh, these Marines?" And he basically said what I just described earlier. He said, "I'd look in their eyes, and I'd say, Marine, how's it going?'" And they and they looked directly back in his eyes, and they'd say, "Well, sir, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a challenging, and it's different to be uh, deployed and not deployed, and there's a lot of things to adjust to." And he would keep looking intently, but with the desire to get it wherever it was the worst, 
And he said, uh, what's really going on, Maureen? And then they would start to talk about, well, it's difficult talking to people when you uh, uh, talk to civilians, and it's a whole different thing, and it's difficult to make a change. And, and then he would continue going, but what's really going on, Maureen? And he said, by the fifth time, they would start, they would really open up. And he said on more than a few occasions, they would stare right at him, and he'd stare in, into their eyes, and they would say something like, sir, I did and saw horrible things, and when I close my eyes, I see them more clearly, sir, so I don't close my eyes much. Mm-hmm. And he would look back into their eyes, and he'd say, if you're a Marine who served active duty, we all did and saw awful things. War is necessary, but it's not pretty, and I am giving you a direct order to focus on your family, to focus on your civilian life, because you have earned the right to have a civilian life. And he got letters over the years from spouses saying, you know, uh, General Steele, you may not realize it, but you you saved my husband's life. So I think that's a pretty good story about how if you just listen intently and, and don't rush with a diagnosis or treatment, don't let their anxiety make you anxious, people will just open up completely. You know, one of the things that we tell uh, uh, new clinicians or folks that have come to work for us here in the, during their first couple of days of orientation, uh, anybody who's going to be providing direct care, you know, we say, look, your, your job is actually not to help people fix their symptoms. It's just to understand them and help them describe them and to listen and understand them. And I think, you know, the, the example you just gave with the general is, is really, uh, he would have done really well here, you know, because he understood it's just important to get people to talk and to be able to, you know, reflect back to them their experience and, you know, to be able to create a connection where somebody feels like, okay, now I've been felt, I've been heard, I've been listened to, I've been, you know, like, it's okay. No, and you just said in a, a good word, so I get to piggyback. People, there's a difference between feeling understood and feeling felt. Mm-hmm. And when people feel felt, they lean into it because most people don't feel felt by anyone. And actually what happens when another person feels felt by you, one of the reasons it's so helpful is that when you're alone in pain and suffering, as we talked about earlier, your cortisol is sky high. So cortisol is related to stress, mm-hmm. and oxytocin is related to bonding and closeness and connection. And so when someone feels felt, their cortisol goes down and their oxytocin goes up. And that really, I think, goes along with what we were talking about before, is that when you feel less alone, uh, uh, suffering you can't tolerate becomes pain that you can. And so it's, it's exactly what you're saying, and that's exactly what would happen with uh, General Steele, is that people felt a connection to him, so they felt less alone in, uh, in what they were going through. Mm-hmm. You know, that actually... Uh, uh, causes me to want to talk a little bit about the life adjustment team and uh, and uh, and and how they do what they do because they treat people where they live. They go see them in their homes, and they'll often see people up to nine hours a week. But what's special about them is the case managers. 
They're all psychologists, and none of them really are good at checking boxes, even though they have to do paperwork, but they are great at connecting with people mm-hmm. uh, and connecting with what they call clients. And they're not doing psychotherapy. They're doing case management. They'll go see this person uh, where they're living, and so that avoids the person saying to their parent, I don't want to see anyone, leave me alone. And they'll often go with them. Sometimes they'll drive them to their psychiatrist, and while they're with them, they'll do, they'll do either teaching, mentoring, or coaching. And I interviewed clients who had been through many programs and relapse. I interviewed the client's parents, and I interviewed these case managers as to why this worked uh, when other things hadn't. And one of the most poignant things that one client said is he said, when I see my case manager, I feel enjoyed. I put a smile on my case manager's face where he or she is just glad to see me. Where sometimes, you know, when I would see people, sometimes in institutions, they're so concerned with checking boxes and making sure they completed everything. You know, it, it felt very professional and clinical, but but I felt alone, and it looks like we're going to have to finish this on the other end of this. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, it, you know, <clears throat> um, yeah, we're going to be going to break in just a second, but I think what you're, you're describing experience with, you know, again, people who, and in a lot, you know, in a lot of places in our country and in other countries as well, feel very dis- disconnected from others because of their illness or their symptoms or, you know, because other people couldn't find a way to understand them and what they were going through. You know, they feel very alone and, like you said, suffering. They're in pain and they're in pain in isolation. Uh, and so that ability to to foster that connection where somebody starts to feel like, wow, they, like somebody else can actually enjoy my company, that's that's the magic, right? That's that's really where the transformation happens, especially for people who have serious mental illness and, and addiction disorders. When we come back from the break, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about how that work happens and, uh, you know, the, the skills that it takes and how to develop those skills to be able to foster those connections. We'll be right back here on One Hour at a Time after about a two-minute break. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? 
Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. And good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Jonathan Ruthier, your guest host today. And we're talking with Dr. Mark Goldston. Our topic today is the secret to getting through to absolutely anyone. And as we've been describing through the show, the secret really isn't a secret, but it's a learned skill. And it's the skill of being able to listen, listening in a way that uh, people really feel connected and tuned in. And uh, as Dr. Goldston describes, you know, having people feel felt. Uh, making that really deep bond with somebody through the way that you listen. Um, you know, before the break, we were we were talking a little bit about um, one of the teams that you've worked with and and people's ability to connect. And you know, I, I uh, you know, as we were talking, I was thinking about you know, how do you train somebody in this? How do you help somebody develop this skill? Because it, it's more than just sort of an an innate thing that you do, some people may be more naturally inclined toward it than others, but you know, how do you really help somebody break this down into a learnable skill? Oh, that's a good question, and uh, I just wanted to finish up the tail end of why the life adjustment team, why I'm so, I'm so impressed with it, uh, because when I was asking clients and their, uh, and their parents and their caseworkers, uh, what's the secret sauce? And, and again, some I remember one client saying, um, you don't know how rare it is to feel enjoyed in life. You know, when you're just a worry or you think you're a burden, you know, it, it's, it's terrible to be looking in someone's face that you feel you're burdening or worrying. And so you feel all alone and, and worse, you feel negative. And when someone is just glad to see you, just glad to see who you are, you're willing to sort of open up to them and open up to them about your problems because you feel accepted and valued as you. And you were talking about where does one learn these skills. Um, I've been fortunate to have six mentors. They've all passed away. And my last mentor uh, was one of the top um, uh, pioneers in the study of leadership. His name was Warren Bennis, uh, B-E-N-N-I-S. And if you look up Bennis and Goulston, you'll find a... A, uh, a tribute that I wrote to him when he died a couple of years ago. And actually, uh, a year ago, a year after he died, I had an anniversary reaction, and I'd never had one of those before. I'd had clients and patients who'd had them, but I'd never had one. And, and, and I wondered, and then I realized on that, on July 31st, 2015, I realized, God, I was, that was a year ago that he had died, and I actually wrote a, another blog and this is, this is how you develop these skills. And um, what I wanted to write about, and I got kind of emotional, is I wanted to tell Warren that it wasn't his respect 
for me that really was the game changer, uh, which was really, I valued greatly because he was highly respected and he respected me. It's that I put a smile on his face, is that he enjoyed me for me. And what I realized is feeling enjoyed for me when my own experience in life has been is sometimes that I made other people worried or burdened. The fact that he enjoyed me healed something in me. Mm-hmm. And so the whole point of this article in mentoring is that if you're a mentor, you not only can help people be successful, you can heal them. And so, and there's a number of other stories that, you, that come up about kind of my background where someone sort of did on to me what I've tried to do on to other people, which, is, which means that someone listened into me at some, some of the tough times in my life yep. and ch- changed my life. And so I, I think you often have to experience that. And what I would say to people who treat uh, people with uh, mental illness, think of, the people, think of the people who were there for you. Think of someone who stood up for you when you couldn't. Think of someone who stood by you in a crisis and wouldn't let you fail and didn't judge you. Or think about someone who stood up to you uh, and pushed you to do more than you thought you could or stopped you from doing something stupid and you listened to them because they're saying no to you was laced with love. If you can think of those people, what will happen is you will find yourself just filled up with gratitude. And in fact, when I'm having a down day or if I'm about to beat up on myself, I I call upon what I call the Dead Mentor Society, and I can think of all six of these mentors with some of them with accents. I can just conjure them up in my mind, and they're smiling at me. And they're telling me to, uh, you know, uh, cut myself some slack. And I immediately start feeling grateful to them and missing them. Uh, And as I can picture their faces and I can picture my gratitude, I can't even get back to what was upsetting me. And so, and so if you can do that, uh, if you can find those people, uh, a living or dead, and think about that, and then, what, and then one of the best ways to honor them, by the way, is to pay it forward. If you were to ask those people, what's the best way to reward you for how you cared about me, you know, most likely they're going to say, you've got to do it to someone else, and then make that commitment to do it. And by the way, uh, you know, while we're on this, this tangent, Find those people or their next of kin and give them a power thank you. And I talk about power thank you in the book, Just Listen. A power thank you has three parts. The first part is you tell them, this is what you, this is what you specifically did for me. So don't just say you were there for me. Uh, give them an example. Um, and, uh, I, and I could think of uh, Warren. I could say, I wanted to thank you because... You, you enjoyed something in me that was different than what I did because a big part of my personality had been you're only worth what you do and what you accomplished, and yet yeah. you enjoyed me for just who I was. So that's what's specific. The second part of a power thank you is you thank them for the effort it took. You know, you, you took the time and caring, Warren. You went out of your way to actually see that. And, 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 and to enjoy it. I mean, you, you know, you could have just been focused on, so, so Mark, what cases do you want to uh, discuss today? What are you working on? But it wasn't that. Uh, uh, you, you, you took the time to, to look into me, and it gave you a smile. And the third part of a power thank you is what it, what it did to you personally. 
Mm-hmm. And if you're share, and if you're doing that right, you should be getting a little emotional. And I got emotional when I wrote that one day anniversary thing because what I was saying is you healed something in me. Right. You healed something in me that I didn't think was healable. And so, um, so if you can, so if listeners can think about those people in your life, living or dead, uh, pay it forward to someone else. And also thank those people. Uh, That would be the thing I'd be most appreciative of anyone who actually listens to this podcast. Right. uh, Getting back to... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, the power of that, you know, that connection and being able to really think about, you know, using your own experience. And and I'm sort of reaching out to the clinicians out there in, in the audience that, you know, uh, you know, tapping into your own experience is a really good thing. And, and I think what you've just described is, you know, an experience, a couple of experiences throughout the show that have really been game changers for you in terms of how you learn about your own ability to connect with others. What works for you is probably going to work pretty well with others as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, um, and in terms of some tips, what to do, there's something else I wanted to go into uh, and this is, and our listening audience is going to be interested in this, is how do you calm down someone who's agitated, upset, and if possible, get them to listen to reason? I think that's one of the greatest challenges. And actually, I developed something called the Fuden approach, the Fuden method, which is F-U-D-N. And F-U-D-N stands for frustrated, upset, disappointed, now what? Frustrated, upset, disappointed, now what? Because okay. what you really want to do when someone, someone's venting or they're a little bit sullen, you want to be able to help them get their angry, negative thoughts out as words, you know, where they can't damage them or someone else. And if you were to say to someone, you seem angry, what's that about? People are going to get defensive. If you yep. say to someone, you seem scared, what's that about? They're going to get paranoid. But everyone's willing to talk about their frustrations. And so if you say to someone, you know, whenever they're, uh, and they could even be on the sullen, quiet side, if you, if you uh, say to them, and I think tone is important too, uh, and so your tone is sort of matter of fact instead of, you know, complaining or whining to them. You, what you say to them, and you can hear it in my tone, you seem frustrated. What's that all about? And so, so in essence, you're, you're, you're making a statement as opposed to saying, Gee, you see, as opposed to whining, saying, God, you seem a little frustrated, and I'm feeling frustrated, which just annoys them. So you make a statement. You seem frustrated. What's that about? And then as they start to talk, what you want to employ is something that I talk about in Just Listen, which are conversation deepeners. You listen for when they use hyperbole, like awful, miserable, terrible, or a raising inflection where they say, well, nothing's, nothing's any better. You let right. them finish. And then when they finish saying that, uh, they're expecting you to come back or reassure them. But instead, you use a conversation deepener and you say, say more about the miserable. Say more about the awful. And you lean into it. And what you're trying to do is pull all of the frustration out. Uh, and then they may finish that. And, you, and then another conversation deepener is to say, really? And then they'll keep talking. And then after they do that for a while, you say, you know, if I was you... I, I think I'd be upset about something, too. What's that about? And that's getting them to talk about what they're upset about is their way of getting the anger out without accusing them of being angry. And then you use the same thing. And then they uh, and you use the conversation deepeners, and you get that out. 
But the game changer is after they say that, you say something like, you know, if I was you, as I just listened to you, and if I was you as a way of not judging them, you're saying, I feel the same way. You say, if I was you, I'd be disappointed about something. I don't know if I'd be disappointed in someone else. I'd be disappointed in my doctors. Uh, I don't know if I'd be disappointed in uh, treatment. Um, uh, I don't know if I'd be disappointed in myself. What's that about? And there's something very powerful when someone says, I'm disappointed. That's why it's right. very difficult to say to your child, I'm disappointed. You No, I'm not angry. No, I'm not upset. You look them in the eye, I'm disappointed. But right. when, they, when you enable them to say what they're disappointed about, it really, it's almost like it gets most of what's left on their chest off. Right. And well, then, and disappointment is a, you know, is a feeling state that's just a little, you know, anger is, is maybe a reaction state, but disappointment is sort of more of a grieving too, right? There's something absolutely. like expecting that didn't happen, and it's, it's almost like, it's like grief counseling a little bit, you know, as you're just trying to get somebody to sort of just turn that over and say, this, is, this was really upsetting and, and uh, you know, and, and hurt, and it really hurt. Yeah. And, so, the, and then the key thing you do when you do that, and yeah. you're absolutely right, Joseph, the yeah. key thing is you, uh, you then repeat back to them, because you, you say, this is too important for me to have missed. This is what you said you were frustrated about. You say it. This is what you said you were uh, upset about. This is what you said you were disappointed about. Do I have that right? And, and when you say, this is important, that, that helps them feel better. And when you repeat it back to them and they're listening to you, that calms them down even more. Because listening, yeah. you're calmer than when you're talking. And then when they agree or if they twist it, say, no, that's not exactly it. And then you say, well, tell me what I missed. And then when they say that, you lean into it. And then you say, now what? Given that all or some of that's true, now what? And then you have a chance to not only have calmed them down, but to be able to have a cooperative, brainstorming, let's figure this out together conversation. But can, yep. you, can you feel in your mind's eye and see in your mind's eye how this is like peeling the onion into having really a, a dialogue where you're talking with another person instead of even just to them? Absolutely, and you're getting on to solutions. When we come back from the uh, commercial break, we're going to talk a little bit more about those solutions and uh, and the food and method. And uh, you know, our listeners out there will uh, you know, will also provide an opportunity for you to learn about how to get more information about the topic today. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. 
Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you find yourself caring for people in multiple generations? Are you exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed? Instead of spending hours searching for resources and information, Dr. Merrill and her guests will provide you with practical, everyday information and solutions to help make your life easier. Tune into Caught Between Generations, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Jonathan Ruthier, your guest host today. And our guest is Dr. Mark Golson. We're talking about the secret to getting through to absolutely anyone. Uh, and, you know, in our last segment here, um, you know, I wanted to see if we could talk a little bit about, you know, what are the things going on in the brain that uh, contribute to or, or detract from the ability to connect with somebody in a way that they really felt felt? Well, we talked about oxytocin and we talked about cortisol, and that's that's... That's sort of in the brain, uh, but something that's unique, I think, to my work and something I became passionate about is an area called uh, the mirror, uh, mirror neurons in the brain. And mirror neurons were discovered in the late 1980s uh, in macaque monkeys, and they, uh, were, they seem to be activated when monkeys imitate other monkeys or even primates. So they were first called monkey-see-monkey-do neurons. And, uh, and with further work, they were seen to be connected to, uh, in, in humans to, to imitation, like in the uh, monkey example, to imitation learning and empathy, and they seem to be deficient or dysfunctional in autistic individuals who cannot mirror other people. And uh, part of my own trying to understand what happened to me with Nancy and other people and how did I get through is what I realized that a lot of us spend our life trying to mirror the emotional and psychological needs of the outside world, mm-hmm. but often we don't feel cared about. And so I call that the mirror neuron gap. The more we're mirroring the outside world and conforming to its emotional and psychological needs and it's not returned, the wider the gap. And that's why when people are sarcastic and they're condescending, it widens the gap. Right. But when people, when we feel felt, what happens is the mirror neuron gap uh, is reduced. And so when I've given presentations on listening, one of the things that I talk about is that you'll never look at movies the same way again because a lot of the tearjerker movies of our time, like uh, Silver Lining Playbook, all the way back to Field of Dreams, what happens is you have two is t- pr- uh, protagonists in which there's a gap. There's a conflict through the whole movie. And then at the end of the movie... 
if you're younger and you remember Silver Lining Playbook, yep. uh, there was uh, these the two individuals, uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Brad Cooper, both with uh, mental emotional issues. They connect at the end in a scene when they realize that they actually loved each other, and the audience cries. And if you're a little bit older like I am, uh, and you saw the movie Field of Dreams, what makes any grown man cry is when Kevin Costner uh, calls out to his dad, who is this baseball player from many years ago, and he says, want to have a catch. And, and the reason we cry is that the mirror, when the mirror neuron gap goes to zero, we feel complete, we don't feel alone, we feel relieved. Mm-hmm. And we have an emotional experience. On a minor level, in our first segment, when I said I was going to listen in to you, and you said, you said, you kind of got that. And then you said, no, you got all of it. I mean, yeah. you got everything, and then you laughed. That laughter was connected to a mirror neuron gap, which wasn't necessarily wide between us, but it had closed when you realize he really gets where I'm coming from. He gets what's right. important to me. And so, uh, uh, and so, people find that interesting. They'll find much more, uh, you know, uh, in that uh, in that book about that. Uh, and so, uh, something that also I wanted to squeeze in, which is about mirror neuron gaps, is um, often there's masculine and feminine energy the way we process information. And often you can have you can have feminine energy as a male, and that doesn't mean you're gay. And you can have masculine energy as a woman. doesn't mean you're gay there all, either. But masculine energy basically looks at uh, uh, communication. They think, they do, but they hate to feel. Think, mm-hmm. hate to feel. And feminine energy is they feel and do and hate to think. Now, you might put that down. Well, isn't that crazy? No. My wife had a sixth sense, and so when our kids were babies, she knew what our kids were doing two rooms away. She could hear something and say, oh, they... Uh, she turned over, I'll need to feed her in about five minutes. What? Right. And so, you know, <laughs> they, really, they really help each other, but here's the key to keep in mind. If you're having a conflict with another human being, if you can, the first step is you say to yourself, red flag conflict. So you just pause, that's important, before you make it worse, and then ask yourself, am I approaching this from a think-do approach or a feel-do approach? Because often when you're in conflict, it's because you're a think-doer in conflict with a feel-doer, or you're a feel-doer in conflict with a think-doer. Now, I can do either of them, you know, uh, so I can cross over, so I can sound pretty tough with an all-business type of guy, but I don't sound robotic with someone who's kind of on the feeling side of things. But here's the takeaway. If you're, let's say, if I'm a think-do person, I'm in conflict with a feel-do person, pause, and then what you say to them in exactly this tone, hey, I have something I'd like to try that I think can get us out of this. And you have to say it in that kind of tone, and they'll say what, but they'll go along with it. You look them straight in the eye, and if I'm a think-do person with a feel-do person, I would say to that person, just say this to me, and if you feel it, lean into it. And then I'd say, look in my eye and say, Mark, I hate it when you give me advice and solutions that I don't want. In fact, it just makes me feel worse. And what's going to happen is they're going to say, what? You could say, no, repeat that to me. And what you've done is something called mediated catharsis. You've you've given them a catharsis to get things off their chest, and you've mediated it for them, and they'll feel better. You've also closed the gap for them, right? Because they're now saying, oh, exactly. (laughs) So just squeeze this. My words back for me to say them. Yeah, and if you're a feel-do person, and see, you can say, I hate uh, to a feel-do person because they're comfortable saying they hate, whereas think-do people don't. They're not comfortable with that. But 
But if you're a feel-do person with a think-do person, what you say to the think-do person is, uh, say, uh, I have something I want to try. Try this. And what I would say if I'm in my feel-do mode, I'd say to the think-do person, say this to me, Mark, it really frustrates me when you get all emotional and you take the conversation just, you know, totally out of focus. You know, it makes me want to pull my hair out. And a think-do person is, is similarly is going to feel relieved because you've closed the mirror neuron gap. So those are right. things that I think uh, can help any of our listeners to, uh, to use immediately to close the gap in their life with the people they love. Well, that's fantastic. You know, we've had a great time having you on the show today. And um, while we're running out of time, I want to just make sure real quickly uh, people can have a, you know, a quick and easy way to find more information on this topic and about uh, the work that you've done. So go to at Mark Goulston, M-A-R-K-G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N, at Mark Goulston. I have a bunch of Twitter followers. You can reach me there. Or go to markgoulston.com, M-A-R-K-G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N.com. You'll find more than you ever wanted to find out about me, and I'd love to hear from you, and uh, thanks for listening. Sure. Thank you. And you know, thank you to our listeners out there for tuning in once again to one hour at a time. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier, signing off for this episode. We hope to have you back here next Monday, 3 o'clock Eastern Time. That's 12 o'clock Pacific Time. Hope to have you uh, listening to us again. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us today for One Hour at a Time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.